Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Ray Penny. I'm uh, your host for Conversations on New Jersey Education. Uh, in today's podcast, we will be uh, discussing uh, the recent Supreme Court ruling. Uh, if you, but first, let's go over some um, uh, uh, issues. Uh, if you want to participate, you can just log on uh, to discuss with our uh, Log on with uh, Blog Talk Radio, and we have a chat room feature. And if you have a question, we will pass it on to our speaker. Uh, our speaker at the moment has been having some difficulty getting in. Let me just—I think this is him. Uh, and then hey, Ray, if I'm you, in. okay, you are in. Okay, Mark. Okay, and then um, if you want to call, and you dial one five one six five three one nine five five seven, and Robin is uh, monitoring our chat room, and she will get your question and uh, put you on the line. So as I said before, we are uh, discussing the recent Supreme Court ruling, which I think is a a very interesting ruling. It does change the the landscape a little bit in education. Uh, So first of all, Mark, uh, Mark's a a partner with uh, uh, Shank Price, Smith, and King. So, uh, but just tell us a little bit about your background as a school board attorney in in the firm. Sure. Good afternoon, Ray. Thanks again for having me on this uh, great podcast. So my name is Mark Sidemer. I'm a school law attorney and a partner at Cheng Price. been practicing school law for about 27 or so years, and I represent and the firm represents school districts, uh, both large and small throughout the state of New Jersey. Okay. Uh, Mark, when I saw this uh, case, uh, Kennedy versus Bremerton School District, uh, I thought it was a Send us in a slightly new, uh, different direction. Um, could you just uh, give our listeners a background on uh, the case so that they have a framework for it? Yeah, sure. So um, this is a case about the First Amendment. And just to refresh the uh, viewing audience's memory, um, the First Amendment says that Congress shall make no law establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech. So the First Amendment really has these three clauses at play here. We've got the establishment of religion, and that's kind of the clause, Ray, that's been known for uh, declaring that there has to be a wall of separation between church and state. And then it goes on to say that we can't prohibit the free exercise thereof. We can't prohibit people from freely uh, exercising their religious beliefs. And then the last part of it is the free speech clause, abridging the freedom of speech. People have a, a right to freely express their, their viewpoints on, on issues. And so, like I said, this is a case about the First Amendment, about the religion aspects of the First Amendment, as well as the speech aspects of the First Amendment. And, and I'll give you a, a background on the, on the facts here, which are somewhat involved. But basically, what, it, what happened here is we have a, a gentleman by the name of Joe Kennedy. He's a football coach at this school since 2008. And he has this tradition at the end of every game of taking a knee at the 50-yard line and praying for about 30 seconds or so. Um, initially, he starts praying on his own, but later uh, students start joining him and eventually he grows into the entire team. And sometimes even the opposing team would join him in these post-game prayers at the 50-yard line. Um, from the facts of the case, it says this tradition actually predated Kennedy. Um, he says in his testimony that he never pressured students to join him post-game, midfield, 
And he did this for about seven years, and nobody said a word about it until uh, one time a, a uh, an employee from an opposing team compliments the school principal and says, hey, I think it's great that you guys all pray at the end of your games. I think that's terrific. Uh, this gets back to the superintendent, who apparently was not aware of it, and the superintendent sends Kennedy a letter saying that he could no longer um, include motivational talks with religious references to his students. Uh, he also couldn't pray with his students in the locker room, something he was also doing. And they went on to say that he couldn't engage in any outwardly discernible religious activity if students were also engaged in the conduct. And I think that was a reference probably to the 50-yard line prayers. So Kennedy complies with the directive. He doesn't do motivational speeches with religious references. He doesn't play, pray in the locker rooms anymore, and he stops the 50-yard line prayers. Um, but the facts of the case say that one day he's driving home after a game and he feels that he uh, he let down God. He was upset that he didn't do what he had traditionally done in the past, goes back to the school, goes back to the football field, and after everybody's left, leaves, gets on his knee at the 50-yard line and offers a prayer. Uh, he then decides he's going to hire an attorney, and his attorney writes a letter to the school saying, look, Mr. Kennedy's not going to pray with the students in the locker room. He's not going to do motivational speeches with religious references, but he would like to be able to pray at the 50-yard line on his own. He's not going to encourage or discourage students from joining him, uh, and he was even fine doing it after the kids kind of went about and were milling about and doing their own thing district did not agree to this, and they said to him he could not engage in any overt actions that could appear to a reasonable observer that they were um, – the school district was somehow endorsing prayer because the school felt that this was going to be a violation of the establishment clause that I had just referenced. Kennedy, did, Kennedy doesn't like this response, and he continues to pray at the 50-yard line after the next game. He starts the prayer by himself, but players and community members start to join him. And then the media start getting wind of this, Ray, and they start picking this up, and it becomes a big hoopla, and everybody's paying a lot of attention to it. Uh, the district sends him another letter saying that a reasonable observer could think that this was somehow government endorsement of religion, and he had to stop. They actually offered him the ability to pray in a private location behind closed doors where nobody could see him. Kennedy doesn't agree to this, and at the next game, he continues to do what he had always done. He prays at the 50-yard line. At the next game, nobody joins him. He does it at the next game after that. Some adults join him, but no students join him. And then finally, the school district basically suspends him with pay and says that he uh, didn't comply with their directive for um, not engaging in these prayers at the 50-yard line. And he does it for about three more games, and that's pretty much the end of his career as a coach in this school district, and they essentially non-renew his contract. Um, in the letter where they sent him this notice that he was being suspended, it was interesting that it didn't allege that he offered these prayers with students, um, and it even acknowledged that the prayers took place while students were engaged in unrelated activities. And so he gets a, a poor performance evaluation for not following district directives, and he's non-renewed. Eventually, he uh, files a lawsuit saying violation of his First Amendment rights, and the case eventually gets to the Supreme Court. And so the Supreme Court, uh, had, they ruled in his favor, and what was their rationale? Yeah, the school district um, lost the case. They did rule in favor of Kennedy. And, and what the court said, Ray, was that the district's approach was all wrong when it took the view that a reasonable observer could somehow think that it endorsed Kennedy's religious activity. 
and therefore it was required to somehow stop the prayers, suppressing what would otherwise be um, protected First Amendment speech. And what the court said was that um, both the free exercise clause, Mr. Kennedy's right to freely express his religious beliefs, and the free speech clause, getting on a knee, bowing a head, saying a prayer, that was protected by the free speech clause. That protected his speech as well. So it wasn't right to say that the establishment clause required them to stop it over some fear that somebody might consider this an endorsement of religion, the school's endorsement of religion, while trampling on his other First Amendment rights. As, as a matter of fact, the court used the term that, that Kennedy's speech was doubly protected by the First Amendment, by the free exercise clause and the free speech clause. And so that it was wrong in its belief that it somehow had to suppress these religious observances when it basically permitted other types of speech in the school. Um, they said it would be analogous, for instance, Ray, to firing a teacher for praying over his or her lunch or for a teacher wearing a yarmulke to school. Okay. So uh, and this wasn't a unanimous decision, though. There was, just some, uh, there was a minority that sided with uh, the school district, I assume. Right. So Justice Sotomayor wrote a dissenting opinion. Um, and, you know, in, in her dissenting opinion, she felt that this really was coerced speech. And, you know, regardless of the fact that Kennedy said that he didn't require students to join in his prayers, let's face it, she said, you know, students are going to feel compelled to join in that prayer, regardless of whether he tells them to or not. And, she felt that coercion is at the heart of the Establishment Clause. If somebody's coerced to participate in a religious exercise, that is a violation of the First Amendment's Establishment Clause, and it should not be permitted. Um, the majority opinion did not agree with that. They felt that um, this was not coerced prayer. And, you know, the, as a matter of fact, they pointed to the fact that the last three games for which he ultimately got suspended, students weren't even praying with him at all. Mm -hmm. And I thought this was an interesting quote from the case, Ray. The, the, the majority said that in no world may a government entity's concerns about phantom constitutional violations justify, justify actual violations of an individual's First Amendment rights. And when they talk about these phantom violations, what they're talking about is they felt that the school was so concerned that somebody might perceive this as the school's endorsement of religion that they use that to somehow trample on his actual First Amendment rights, the speech right and the free exercise right. So they didn't believe uh, that there was peer pressure, particularly, you know, maybe some of the players might think that they have to join in just to be part of the team. They, the majority did not believe that. Yeah, that's exactly right. They rejected that. As a matter of fact, they did go on to say that, look, this is different from some of our other Supreme Court cases on prayer. And they fight to a case called Lee versus Weitzman versus, uh, from 1992. In that case, you may remember, Ray, the clergy recited a prayer at graduation exercises. That was the school's tradition in that case. And they found that that was a violation of the, the establishment clause because they said in every practical sense, compelled uh, attendance and participation in graduation is obvious. Everybody feels they have to go to a graduation, and they were therefore compelling people to participate in a religious ex exercise. That was different from, they said, Kennedy on his own 
on his knee praying by himself sometimes at, at the 50-yard line. They also distinguished this case from another case called Santa Fe Independent School District from 2000. In that case, they had broadcast a prayer at the beginning of every football game over a public address system. And they said that was also coerced participation in religious exercises because the players, of course, had to be there. The cheerleaders had to be at the game. Members of the band had to be at the game. So that was more of a captive audience type situation. Again, different from this in the majority's view, not different in the minority opinion's view. You know, Justice Sotomayor did not buy into any of that. Okay. And let's just translate this to a couple other things. What about how would this affect maybe other staff members? I mean, someone could say, well, it's a private act of his praying by himself, but it's pretty open. It's on the 50-yard line. It's probably the most visible part in the field. So how, you know, does this affect the teachers doing anything in, you know, in their classroom or between classrooms? Yeah. Is there a, is is there a, how's this line drawn, I guess, is my question. Yeah, it's a tough, it's, it's sometimes a tough line to draw. I think in a classroom would be problematic. I think if a teacher at the beginning of every school day said to the kids, all right, bow your head and pray with me, that would clearly be a problem because of that coercion that we talked about before, that captive audience situation. But if if a teacher in the cafeteria eating his or her own lunch wants to bow his or her head and fold hands and say a prayer out loud before the meal, I think that that would be perfectly acceptable. That's a a protected free exercise issue. That's a, a free speech issue. That's different than saying everybody must join me now in a prayer. That that's the type of coercion that I think is prohibited by the um, by the uh, establishment clause. Okay, and, I, and I'm just I'm, I'm assuming that this applies to all religions. So if someone had bowed down, if they were Islamic or uh, any maybe even a very uh, you know niche. Uh, religion, this would apply to all of them that they they can during this time period they can do whatever free speech that they want. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely correct. I think it would apply to any religion, and I think it would apply to you know s- s- the speech aspect of religion, i.e., you know, saying a prayer out loud, for instance, or wearing religious garb. I think that's absolutely protected. I think a school would be wrong to tell a teacher that he couldn't wear a yarmulke or a a job or, or whatever religious practice that person uh, enjoyed, even if it was in the classroom. That's that's different than saying to a student, you must join me in a prayer or we're going to, you know, bow our heads together. That's what I'm saying. That would be an issue. So, Okay, we're speaking with Mark Zidmer on uh, the prayer at the 50-yard line, a recent uh, Supreme Court ruling. If you have a question, dial 1-516-531-9557 or put a, your question in the chat room. Um, Mark, uh, I still want to go back to, um, what about a district? If you're a school district, is there any policies that you might be looking at in this area? If you have a, a, doesn't necessarily have to be a coach. Anyone who participates wants to do something like, you know, like this, is there any policies that you might want to create or at least be aware of or discuss with your staff? Yeah, I think we should take a look, a hard look at some of our policies. And I think to me, the takeaway, there's a few takeaways from this case. And so uh, the first takeaway that comes to mind is that while there needs to be a wall of separation between church and state, 
it doesn't mean that school districts have to be hostile to any religious speech or activities or practices. We have to keep in mind that that speech is also protected by the free speech and free exercise clauses of the First Amendment. And, you know, one of the things the court was really, they, they wanted to point out the fact that there doesn't always have to be this tension between the free exercise clause and the establishment clause where one has to prevail over the other. They have to complement each other. All these clauses of the First Amendment have to complement each other. It's not like it's either an establishment clause violation or it's a free exercise clause violation. So, you know, I think the way the courts had looked at it in the past is that one of the clauses has to, to prevail over the other and that there's this constant tension. I don't think that's what the court was saying at all. I think what the court was saying is that as long as it's not coerced prayer, then it's going to be okay. It's going to be protected by the free exercise clause. So we should take a look at our policy and make sure that we're not saying that teachers or governmental employees or coaches or whatever cannot engage in any religious dem demonstrations or practices whatsoever. I think that would be a problematic policy. Um, a policy that says teachers should be praying with kids obviously is going to be a problem. Well, would it be an again? Issue? I think it's going to come down to that issue of coercion. Uh, and but what about we have some diverse districts in New Jersey, uh, and maybe uh, if a student feels uncomfortable, even though they're not participating in their prayer, they're of a different religious faith. Would that have an impact? You know, if they said, you know, I, uh, on the school district, that this makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, I yeah, I think if a, a student or group of students can somehow show that, that one of their educational leaders was doing something where they truly felt coerced or compelled to participate in a religious activity, I think the school would be within its rights at that point to tell the educator to, to stop it, that, that you can't do something where you're going to make kids feel compelled or coerced to practice religion in schools. That's not something the government can do under the First Amendment. Um, and so these cases, like like all cases, are going to be fact-sensitive. We're going to have to look at the facts, and we're going to have to apply the First Amendment law, the case law, the Supreme Court law to the facts of the case to see if there's, in fact, a violation. But I do, like I said before, I think the issue does come down to a large degree in terms of coercion, coercion and where there were compelling uh, students and others to participate in religious activities. That would be a problem. Yeah, and I, I can see that argument because I know – kids tend to follow each other in that. I played football in high school and we kind of did the same thing. Uh, but that was many, many, many moons ago. Um, so um, what should districts be thinking of as they move forward on this? Is there something that they should be looking at? Is it, you know, um, any action they should be taking, reviewing their policy, their uh, teacher contract, anything that they should be thinking about as, as they move forward? Yeah, I always think it's a good idea whenever the Supreme Court comes out with a new case that impacts schools, that we take a, a good look at our, our policies, that we take a good look at our regulations to make sure that they're in compliance with the current state of the law, because as you know, the law changes all the time, it evolves all the time, and we would want to make sure that our policies are in tune with this court's holding. And um, I think before this case, a lot of school districts felt that they had to shut down any type of religious activity and demonstrations whatsoever. And I think the rule of law that's come from this case is, no, that's not necessarily the case. 
you got to look at the whole thing. You got to look at the big picture. You can't just look at one aspect of the First Amendment. You have to look at all aspects of the First Amendment. So yeah, definitely let's make sure we take a good look at those policies and regulations. I don't, I have not typically seen things in union contracts involving these types of issues, mm-hmm. but probably not a bad idea to take a look at that as well. And um, in many ways, what you talk about shutting it down, it was a little bit easier. The line was a, a little was. Uh, you know, clear to see. Now it seems that the line might be a little bit, a little bit more difficult, and you have to really ask. It's a little grayer, I guess. Uh, so, and there might even be more court rulings coming down this uh, after this too. I would imagine, or more cases brought to the Supreme Court. Yeah, so, I, 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 I think you're right. Because I think they might want. To, okay, it's, we knew where the line was before. Now we know the line's moved a little bit. Uh, so now districts will have to, and the administration will have to really ask a few questions about any procedure that happens um, that might involve something like this. Yeah, and and this court has shown recently that it's got a very pro-religion stance. You know, there was a case that came out from the same Supreme Court about, um, you know, religious vouchers and that sort of thing going to, to non-public schools. And I don't want to get into that. We can do that as a separate podcast on another day if you'd like but they have shown a a a slant in favor of religion and i think you're right ray that that may result in additional litigation because people are going to want to test the boundaries how far can we go with this religious um speech in the schools or another it's not just schools obviously it's other governmental places as well oh that's true that's true i was you know we're the school board association, so we're, and you're a school yeah. board attorney, so we were just mostly uh, thinking about that. Right, but this would apply uh, to other governmental entities as well, whether, you know, we're talking about do we want to have a clergy give a prayer at the opening exercises of the Senate, for instance, those sorts of things. Those are interesting questions, many of which have been already addressed. Oh, okay. And um, I guess my final is if, this, if a district is moving forward on this, they have to meet really make sure they're doing this for all religions and, you know, not shut down one religion over another. Uh, Yeah, that's right. The government has to show neutrality, neutrality. So um, it can't favor or endorse one religion over another. If we allow, like I said, you know, teachers to engage in religious practices because they're of one faith, we have to allow it for everybody. And if we allow certain speech that's non-religious, what the court said here is we have to allow religious speech as well. That's just as protected as as non-religious speech. And that's, I think, one of the things the court was critical of the school district in this particular case for allowing other speech, but almost being hostile, the court felt, towards religious speech. Okay. And uh, this got to the Supreme Court, but the the previous courts had probably uh, they did side with the school district before this, right? Yeah, they did side with the school districts, especially in the two other cases that I mentioned, um, the Santa Fe and the Lee versus Weissman case. Again, in those cases, really, because they felt that they were compelling students and families to participate in these religious exercises because of the attendance of those events was really mandatory, so to speak, for at least a large segment of the, the population. That was very different from this, where Kennedy was doing it for 30 seconds on his own in the middle of the field on his own time, essentially, you know, when everybody else had pretty much dispersed during the games. 
you know, one of the things that Sotomayor said is you can't just look at the last three games. You've got to look at the context. This had been going on for years. He had been doing this in the locker room. He had been doing this with the kids as part of his motivational speeches. Don't just look at the last three games. And she felt that the majority was being a little bit myopic in the way it was viewing the, this, the context of this particular setting. Well, that, that does bring up an interesting because um, would it have been different if the students had been joining in? the players or other staff members, uh, would that have affected the ruling or at least the way it's worded now because, or would it it affect it down the road that if students start joining in now, it looks like it might be something different. You know, I think it could have, right? Because, you know, one of the things the court really went out of its way several times in the opinion, the opinion is like 80 pages long, by the way. Uh, One of the things (laughs) the court went out of its way several times to point out in the decision is that the last three games where he ultimately got suspended for, none of the students were playing with him. Now, he was doing it by his own or with adults, you know, that sort of thing. So, you know, I, I scratched my head and I've raised the same question that you just raised, which is, you know, if the kids had all joined him for those last three games and he got suspended, would the outcome have been different? I think maybe it would have been. It's hard to say. Um, But the court really liked the fact in the decision that I think it wanted to render here that the students were not with him for those final games. And so they really threw out this notion that this was coerced prayer with the kids. Okay. I think that might be a future case when the, the students are starting. Yeah. <laughs> we'll because I, I alluded to yeah. this before because we had something like that when I played football, and I did felt can tell the government wasn't even my it was a non-denominational service, but I, I felt especially as underclassmen that I should go because the captain was going and, and everyone else. So I, oh, I, I could absolutely is, see. You know. Um, and it wasn't nothing wrong with it, but, you know, that that was – and the coach went too, so you did feel that. So I would see – I would be interested to see in a future case if there's other people participating in it, particularly students, if that changes the ruling uh, uh, down the road. Yeah, I think you're right, right? I think it'd be naive to think that students are not going to feel pressured to do everything they can to please their coach for fear that if they don't, it's going to result in loss of playing time and all the things that kids worry about. I, I get it. So I don't think Justice Sotomayor was off base when she was saying that to say that the students weren't feeling coercion in, in certain cases to participate is just just absurd. Yeah, and I think it's a little different. Uh, this usually occurs always in the sports setting too. I guess I uh, seems like this is more likely to happen there than it would yeah. in a classroom. Um, then it, you know, yeah, I, I agree. You're really doing that. I, I, I can see coaches doing that because uh, they have kind of a different relationship with their players. Yeah, I think you're right, right? I think the line is a little bit easier to draw about something occurring in a classroom where students must go to school. Obviously, students don't have to necessarily be on a, a sports field. So, yeah, I don't see this happening a lot in, in classes. You're right, it traditionally happens on the playing field. That happened when I was in school playing sports as well. Okay, we're coming to the end. Any final words uh, for school board members, school administrators as they move forward uh yeah, football season just around the corner. Yeah, I, again, I think we have to remember the First Amendment is multifaceted. It's not just one clause that prevails over another clause. I think you have to look at the, the big picture in all these cases and look at the facts and apply 
the the law to the facts and try to come up with the best decision that you can. And, and as always, if there's ever a question, you should always consult with your uh, your legal counsel because the law is an ever-moving target in these cases. And uh, we, we try to do our best to take the case law and, and apply it in the way that we think is most reasonable and most in line with the Supreme Court jurisprudence. Okay. That brings us to the end of this program. I'd like to thank Mark Zidmer uh, from uh, uh, Shank, Price, Smith & King. Uh, he, as always, uh, I've known, known Mark for uh, probably about 23 of those 27 <laughs> years he's been a board attorney. Probably. <laughs> so, <laughs> yep. so, uh, so every once in a while I call him up and say, let's talk about the case. So uh, thanks, Mark. Uh, as always, yeah, thank you, you so much for having insight. me on, Ray. I really I appreciate you having me on, as always. Yeah, and I uh, appreciate you uh, joining us. And I would uh, tell uh, most board members as you move forward, you might want to just check with your board attorney, see on just have a review of this case as you move forward to see if there's anything that you should be worried about in your district, anything that's on the line. So I uh, hope that you all enjoyed this program, and I hope that you uh, took away some good information from Mark. Thank you, and have a good day. And thanks once again, Mark. Thank you so much. Take care.